1: by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine leftover that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, One of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, Puts just a simple number, here it is, lot 546 or lot 622, simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com/tom t h o m C-H, as in Cameron Hughes, that's his name, he, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy, and he's doing amazing stuff. C-H-Wine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E, text the word wine to 511-511, and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three-bottle order. So text wine to 511-511. Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast.
2: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
1: Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us is our old friend Greg Palace, the former BBC reporter, investigative journalist, author, filmmaker, his most recent uh, movie, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. You can find it over on Amazon, among other places. GregPallas.com is his website, and you can tweet him at Greg underscore Palace. Greg, welcome back to the program. You're specifically reporting on Chris Kobach in Kansas. So you want to bring us up to date
3: on this? Oh, yeah. There's going to be a hearing when an active citizen named Davis Hammett and this guy, I'm going to hire him, man. What a great investigative reporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went he's demanding a recount of the primary vote where Chris Kobach supposedly won the gubernatorial primary in Kansas by 350 votes. Well, Kobach's minions in various counties decided that he was going to do what he usually does to Democrats, not count the, his Republican opponent, the sitting governor, Collier. In uh, Collier's main area, which is Johnson County, which is a suburb of Kansas City, Kansas, um, that uh, there were 2,300 people forced to provisional ballots and um, you know about half were not counted that, in that one county. So he did a purge in the county of the, the home county of his opponent, he did a voter purge? He did purges. He did. That's why a lot of people are showing up, not getting ballots. He also did something else, which I hate to say, was something that the California establishment did against uh, Bernie Sanders in 2016. In Kansas, if you're not affiliated with a party, you can vote in the Republican primary. Those people were either sent away or told that they had to fill out provisional ballots, which were then rejected. It ain't true. The law requires, uh, says you can uh, uh, you know register on the day as a Republican and, and vote. Right. And those independents were the ones who really couldn't stomach Kobach. He knew that 2,300 votes in just that one county, another 2,300, probably about 10,000 provisional ballots across Kansas. And the other trick that they used, that Kobach used, is uh, saying, oh, there were no signature matches on the absentee ballots sent in, the mail-in ballots in the primary. Mm -hmm. This is another trick, unfortunately, that was used on hundreds of thousands of voters in the 2016 Sanders-Clinton primary in California. So Kobach learns from some of the Democrats, too. I hate to say it, but they said signatures didn't match just over 100 in just that the one single county in Kansas that's a, a Collier stronghold. They didn't reject a single ballot for mismatched signature in the Kobach stronghold in Wichita. Whereas the Kansas City Collier area, they rejected them uh, over 100 in just that one county. Now, understand what that means. There's, by the way, there's no law in Kansas that says you may reject a ballot uh, hmm. because of a signature. You know, if an American says, I am, this is me, this is my ballot, I'm an American citizen, I'm voting, that's it, baby, in Kansas under the law. But Kobach decided he's his own law and told his county directors- Because he's the in, Secretary of State. You yeah, can he's do the this. Secretary of State to knock out mismatched signatures, but only, it was only happening in those Collier counties. So Chris Kobach did to the to his Republican opponent what his Republican opponent applauded when he did it against Democrats. So no tears for Collier, but tears for democracy in Kansas. Remarkable. I, I have a question, a
1: follow-up on that, but lest we forget, this is not new. In 1980, Paul Weyrich, the co-founder of the Heritage Foundation, working on the Reagan campaign, was speaking to a group of activist Republicans, Republican, yes. Christian activist, fundamentalist, Christian activist Republicans, in a church basement in Texas, said this.
2: Now, many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome, good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down.
1: Now, this has been the Republican mantra literally since 1980. They have been engaging in voter suppression. There's been virtually no discussion about it on the Democratic side, which I think is horrible. Now, uh, Greg Pallast, I understand that the governor, Governor Collier of Kansas, the one who got bumped off by Chris Kobach, has uh, come out and said this is wrong <laughs> well collier
3: complained to kobach during the count and by the way chris kobach was counting his own ballots okay he's right secretary, okay and finally he said by the way you violated your oath as an attorney you violated the law as secretary of state stop counting your own ballots or not refusing the main thing was refusing to count collier's ballots so kobach just turned it over to a flunky and by the way he's in a tight tight race kobach But he's not recusing himself from counting the votes in the November general election against the Democrat and Independent. So, you know, this is an old game. Collier, I have no sympathy for the Republican sitting governor that Kobach beat because Collier was right there applauding Kobach for saying uh, voters ought to be required to prove that they're citizens, you know, making Mm -hmm. every voter, young voter, a suspect but it's not just Kansas, it's all over America. That's why I'm suing Kobach and 25 of his GOP brethren. Speaking of which, how's that lawsuit going? Well, today, Mr. Kobach, if you're listening in, and I know he usually does, by the way, Mr. Kobach, you've got till 5 p.m. your time to cough up your papers, the names of the people you've purged off the voter rolls, and I'll share them with Mr. Collier too. And I want those names by 5 p.m. or you'll see me in federal court. I should say, and here's some very good news, My attorney contacted me and said, they're dropping like flies. Even Brian Kemp, who is running against Stacey Abrams for governor, he's the secretary of state. He's removed five hundred ninety one thousand voters from the Georgia voter rolls. He's secretary of state there. And he's bleached the voter rolls whiter than white for his run against Stacey Abrams, the African-American woman running against him. And I've demanded his purge list and hours before uh, he was going to have to face me in federal court. He said he'll cough up the entire list. So we'll see if he's going to play games with that. But that's a big win. Colorado has said, you've got the list. They're coming in from all over the country as they're actually realizing that federal judges really are not going to be too kind to Jim Crow. Do you think that is going to be changing
1: as more and more right wing federal judges are being appointed by Trump? They had for the last two years, the Obama presidency, they basically didn't allow any federal judges to go on the bench to the point that John Roberts wrote a letter to Mitch McConnell saying this is a crisis for the federal judiciary. Mitch McConnell didn't care. He also suppressed or held back a vote on uh, Merrick Garland. So what's up with that? Is that going to be changing the nature of these kinds of decisions, do you think?
3: Are you seeing seeing any evidence of that? Oh yeah, I'm sick to my stomach about it. In fact, there's no question. I'm going to be very blunt. We're going to try to keep this out of the Supreme Court. My case against Kobach and these other guys. We're going to keep it to the details of state, of uh, what's happening in each state. Because if Kavanaugh gets on the court, we're dead in the water. I'm very afraid of Kavanaugh and this current court. You know, Kennedy was not great, but you know he had some doubts about just unleashing Jim Crow on the voter rolls. You have an attorney general who's supposed to protect the voters. The Voting Rights Act was gutted. He says we don't need any of it at all. That's Jeff Beauregard Sessions. Mm. I'm very, very afraid of the change in the federal bench. That's why I'm moving very quickly. And I'm not afraid of Republican judges. I mean, Republican judges have banged Chris Kobach over the head. I can't tell you how many times telling him, by the way, sir, we have a democracy. But, you know, he's been resisting. I'm just afraid of these new ultra right guys that they are stuffing the benches with very very dangerous
1: yeah they're not republicans they're they're toadies for the billionaire class who are being propped up by the federalist society which is funded by the billionaire class uh, in large part it's it's pretty amazing greg palace you can check out his website greg palace.com his latest movie the best democracy money can buy you can watch it over on amazon and other places greg thanks so much for being with us today you're the best tom thank you great talking with you This is the Tom Hartman Program. By the way, Donald Trump just extended the state of emergency that George W. Bush declared on 9-11 in order to consolidate more power in the executive office. Carolyn in North Carolina watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Carolyn, what's on your mind today?
4: Well, y'all were talking about the way they messed up the state. Mm-hmm. And they messed it up so bad, the county where I live, my son ran for Congress this past time, and I couldn't even vote for him. Because really? The, but my brother and my daughter could. So they have messed up North Carolina. Terrible, terrible.
1: Is this from the yeah. gerrymandering you're talking about, Carolyn?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I forget all those words. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. And it just broke my heart
1: remarkable it
4: broke my heart but he did come in second on the place so he hadn't give up he hadn't give up yeah
1: well that's that's a start i mean abe lincoln lost the first five i think elections that he ran for it takes time you know you just you just keep at it so uh
4: 100 well, percent. i'm proud of him
1: yeah give him our very best i'm i'm proud of him too and carolyn thank yeah. you for the call thanks for watching us on free speech tv grant in bellevue washington listening on kbc Hey, grant what's on your mind today
5: uh, up here in Washington, the weather has kind of shifted towards fall. It's so beautiful that I wanted to remind people to get out and get their hands in the dirt, plant a garden. It's the best way for many things. Relaxation, then fight corporate greed, both at the same
1: time. Yeah, it's it's turning into fall here in Portland as well. Uh, what can you plant in September? Is there something that has a really, really short growing season?
5: All the beautiful greens and lettuce have pretty short growing seasons, and then when it actually goes to frost, we can bring them inside and have them be window seal gardens.
1: Yeah. Yeah, have you gardened your whole life, Grant?
5: No, but I've been involved in agriculture. I think that it would help our country a lot if more people got involved in agriculture just on its namesake. Yeah. So that we have more culture
1: well not only that the food is just spectacular louise has been bringing in onions and, and tomatoes and and uh swiss chard from our garden from her garden and uh it's just just great great stuff i mean you know fresh food literally fresh out of the garden there's just, there's just nothing like it
5: oh yeah a couple of weeks of eating out of your own garden and then you eat in the grocery store and you'll be appalled by the taste difference
1: yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Grant, thanks a lot for the uh, call. It's,
5: I say, hey, everybody, love dirt.
1: Love dirt. <laughs> there's another dimension of this, Grant. Not only does dirt provide life for us because plants are rooted in it and everything we eat starts out as sunlight being converted into, into vegetable matter by plants. Even when we eat animals, we're eating plants secondarily because the, you know, there's, there's about 20 pounds of plant to make one pound of animal flesh. And I encourage people not to eat animals, but, you know, or fish, but that's the case. It's also one of the best ways to sink carbon out of the atmosphere. You know, living soil is really, really powerful stuff to fight climate change. Grant, thanks for the call. Very well said. It's a very, very good point. I mentioned uh, President Trump has just, oh, it hurts to say that. Donald Trump has just extended the state of emergency under which we are living for another year. What this means is that the powers of the White House are expanded and the ability to have scrutiny over what they're doing is restricted. Our Tom Hartman University book review of the day, Richard Belzer's new book, Corporate Conspiracies, How Wall Street Took Over Washington. This is from the introduction. Of all the books we researched for this work, the title we loved the most was this one, Regime Change Begins at Home, Freeing America from Corporate Rule. We loved it because it presents as a hard fact something that very few people completely understand. And then he quotes from that book, Since 1980, America has been run by a corporate regime that has co-opted both political parties and shifted sovereignty from we the people to transnational corporations. End of quote. Since this book covers some corporate conspiracies, we will no doubt take a lot of heat for that and be deridingly referred to as conspiracy theorists. So we would just like to remind people that the phrase conspiracy theorist was actually invented by the Central Intelligence Agency, be used as a weaponized term with which to discourage people from seeking the truth. We kid you not, CIA document 1035-960, dated April 1, 1967, regarding the agency's concern about the reputation of the American government, in quotes. That document also suggested various tactics for countering, quote, conspiratorial arguments, which confronted the gaping holes critics observed in the findings of the Warren Commission, which investigated, in quotes, they really did no such thing in reality, uh, the assassination of President Kennedy. Quote, the agency also directed its members to employ propaganda assets to negate and refute the attacks of the critics, end quote. So as you can see, and as the Freedom of Information Act release, so that CIA document clearly release, uh, reveals, the use of the term conspiracy theorist is actually a conspiracy itself. But if you believe rightly that Julius Caesar and hundreds of other leaders were the victims of conspirators, as they were, then you're an evil conspiracy theorist, right? Well, if anybody actually believes that, then you'd better read up on your history, boys and girls, because conspiracies are an ongoing and very common occurrence in human conduct. Now let's get down to the nitty gritty. Are you aware that many friends of Robin Williams believe that his suicide was the direct result of the prescription drugs he was taking? And that over 23,000 suicides are attributed to psychiatric drugs each year in the United States? Did you know that turning prisons into a big business has resulted in the United States having the highest incarceration rate in the history of the world, and the most are just drug crimes? Are you aware that the historic event of the toppling of the statue of Saddam Hussein in Iraq was actually a U.S. military psyops, psychological operations warfare uh, pro- program, a completely orchestrated event with the knowledge and assistance of U.S. media, and not a spontaneous event as it was portrayed by our media. Did you know that the Pentagon is spending is sending 1.5 trillion dollars of our tax dollars to their corporate buddies for a new fighter jet that's already superfluous? Are you aware that continuing to rely on oil instead of investing in low carbon Energy solutions will cost us $44 trillion due to climate change. Did you know that companies like General Motors at times know that their products will kill people? But they do nothing because it's actually cheaper to compensate the victims than it is to correct the problem? Then then read and learn on, friends. American corporations have been getting away with murder, literally, for many, many years. Just take a good look at their history. The above example of GM is a proven point. Corporate uh, consumer advocate Clarence Ditlow, executive director of the nonprofit Center for Automotive Safety, bitterly criticized the settlement, quote, GM killed over 100 people by knowingly putting a defective ignition switch into over one million vehicles, Ditlow said. Today, thanks to its lobbyists, GM officials walk off scot-free while its customers are six feet under. Tobacco companies knowingly lied about the harmful effects of cigarettes for decades, even though there was plenty of known medical proof of their damage. They even knowingly hid that information from the public. Oil, gas, and chemical companies have been knowingly polluting our planet with cancer-causing chemicals and products for de- also for decades, and they know that they're doing it. Pharmaceutical companies have lied and attempted to minimize news coverage regarding the deaths that they know the drugs will cause. That's murder, plain and simple. Corporatocracy had become a fact and it increasingly exerted itself as the single major influence on world economics and politics. Sad to make this observation, but we have become a government of the corporations, by the corporations, and for them. That's Richard Belzer's new book, Corporate Conspiracies. I've been using the Muse EEG neurofeedback headband. I'm not sure that's exactly what they call it, but the website is choosemuse.com. It's a little headband you put on, um, just sets over your ears, sort of like a pair of glasses, only it goes across the forehead. And it actually reads your brain waves, your EEG, and feeds it back to you through a free app on your, on your smartphone into your earphones, into your, into your ears, as the sounds of weather. And as your brain gets more agitated, the weather gets louder. And as your brain gets calmer and more peaceful and more meditative, the weather gets softer, and the waves get softer, and you start hearing little birds when you're having really cool brainwave activity that's associated with the way that good meditators do it. It's a meditation instruction tool, and meditation is such an incredible thing. It, it you know helps concentration, focus, lowers blood pressure. I've been using this for about four or five months now, and I have noticed in my daily writing, because I've, I've got a 10-book contract right now, and I'm writing so much every single day, I used, to, I used to sit down to write and say, okay, I'm going to write for an hour, and half of that hour was spent with distractions. I'd think of this and think of that, and oh, I need to check my email. Oh, I got to do this. And, and I would constantly distract myself and then eventually come back to it. Since I've started using the Muse, now when these distractions pop up, just like they do in my meditation, I've learned how to, just like in my meditation, say, oh, that's a distraction. I'll let go of that. I'll come back to that later. I'm going to get back to writing. And now... Instead of getting 30 minutes worth of work done in an hour of sitting and writing, I'm getting 50 or 60 minutes of work done in an hour of sitting and writing. It's really extraordinary. The, you can learn all about it at ChooseMuse, Muse, M-U-S-E, ChooseMuse.com. And if you order using the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get $30 off. So check it out. It's great. ChooseMuse.com. Tom Harman here with you. Over on Alternet.org, the top story is titled The NFL's Ongoing Kaepernick Controversy Shows Much of White America is Still in Slave Patrol Mode. There's a long history of whites trashing blacks when they protest the system's whites have put in place to keep them down. I wrote that article, just FYI. Dr. Crystal Fleming is writing not just about this, but also the whole Serena Williams thing and on how to be less stupid about race and gender, basically. She's the associate professor of sociology and Africana studies and associate faculty at the Department of Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at SUNY Stony Brook and the author of a forthcoming book. It's coming out this week or next week, How to Be Less Stupid About Race on Racism, White Supremacy and the Racial Divide. Dr. Fleming, welcome to our program
0: hi tom thanks so much for having me
1: so glad to have you with us in your book uh, chapter two is titled listen to black women is there a tie in there to (laughs) serena i am sorry i haven't had an opportunity yet to read your book we just got a copy of it this morning
0: yeah well i can't say that i prophetically predicted what would happen in in the women's final this past weekend i definitely do mention serena williams uh briefly in the book because i'm just a huge fan Um, I did happen to actually be at Arthur Ashe this past Saturday. So I was present um, when the debacle unfolded. And uh, it's something that my followers on Twitter know I've been writing about ever since. And I have an op-ed that will come out, you know, shortly. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I think so much of what unfolded Saturday afternoon just really illustrated, you know, the intersections of racism and sexism in the lives of black women right and in this case an extremely high profile black woman uh, but yeah there's a lot to unpack there how do we
1: your book the chapters the origins of racial stupidity an idiot's guide to critical race theory on racial stupidity in the obama era i'm so looking forward to reading all this how do in particular white people learn through this process. I'll just tell you a real quick story of my own, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I had a, this was maybe three or four months ago, a black caller who made a really, really brilliant point. And I said, "Oh, that was great. That was so articulate. And as soon as I got off that call, I thought, oh my God, you know, I remembered the whole Joe Biden controversy. And I thought, you know, is that a word I normally use? Or did that just, did my own racial prejudices just popped to the surface. And so over the next three or four days, uh, whenever a white caller would make, or somebody who sounded like a (laughs) white caller would make a really good point, I would go out of my way to say, that was really articulate, just to see how it felt coming off my tongue. And I was telling Nate this a couple weeks ago, it became very, very clear to me that that's not a word that I typically use when I'm talking to white people. And and so, boom, Tom gets a lesson. Speak to that and, and just generally how white people can help wake up to these issues.
0: I mean I think that's a great example that you just shared, right? Because one of the things I emphasize in the book is it's impossible to move forward and make progress on these issues without a change in consciousness. And that that requires a willingness to look at our own behavior. And I include black folks and people of color amongst those who also need to look at our own behavior simply because of how internalized oppression can work and how we're all all exposed to white supremacy simply by virtue of growing up and being socialized in a systemically racist and white supremacist society so i think you know your example of, of sort of catching yourself and realizing maybe you know in retrospect right oh wow i used this word in a way that you know maybe might be linked to prejudice right even though you you wouldn't want to So right. this way in which also you know, when we become aware of our socialization, we realize that we perpetuate behaviors uh, against our own will, right? And and so I think, uh, you know, there's uh, Jane Elliott. I, I think you're probably familiar with this uh, um, anti-racist educator. She's mm-hmm. uh, in her 80s now, I think. And she's the, the teacher who, right after the assassination of Martin Luther King, um, did this social experiment in her class, right, where she divided the class into brown-eyed versus blue-eyed kids and then, you know, try to teach them about how stigma and racism and prejudice work. And one of the things she always says is that, uh, you know, even after decades of doing this work, you know, being both an anti-racist educator and, you know, working on her own uh, implication in the system, you know, she is, the work is still ongoing. Like, it doesn't stop, right? So sure. um, what can white people do? I mean, I think, Uh, At at the very least, you know, becoming more aware, particularly of what uh, black folks and indigenous people and people of color uh, live through and experience and really amplifying uh, and listening to the knowledge, right, that uh, black folks and people of color have about the way the system works. But I also talk about in the book that, you know, consciousness raising is not enough because we're also in this period where you know, sort of the politics of of wokeness, right? Like, I'm so woke because, you know, um, I can say that racism exists, right? Which is a very, you know, like low level, you know. It's a low
1: threshold, yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. But a lot of people, you know, want cookies for these very low level um, insights. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reality is a consciousness is not enough. We also have to, you know, be very clear about the need to shift resources. Right, so shifting resources certainly around uh, issues of, of racism and how people of color and Black folks have been and still are systemically denied, whether we're talking about economic, political, social resources, but also you know linking that fight to the fight to shift resources to the poor, to working people, to exploited and marginalized folks more broadly. And that's also something I talk about in the book, right, which, you know, these are the connections, I know, Tom, that you also make that um, one of the things that Martin Luther King talked about that gets erased is that he connected the fight against racism to the fight against poverty and capitalist exploitation and the fight against militarism yep. and endless war.
1: Yeah, right? and, and in fact, that was the, those are major themes and, uh, throughout his life, but in, particularly in the last last few years of his life. We have an administration right now, the Trump administration, where Betsy DeVos in education is trying to radically cut funds for education. We have a Supreme Court that asserted in the case where the Voting Rights Act was being litigated that even though this legislation passed the Congress back in the early 2000s by a 98 to nothing vote, we don't need it anymore because there's no more racial discrimination in America, essentially. It seems that so much of this is going backwards. And I still occasionally get a call from white people that typically listening in red states, who obviously watch a lot of Fox News, going, what are these people still complaining you know that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, how do we message this and how do we wake up those people who aren't even
0: interested in being woke you know Tom that's a really difficult question because on, I mean I have a couple of responses on the one hand, you know I'd say that there are you know there's a contingent of folks in our society that have I mean there, there is no Also, there is no level of evidence that will convince them. This is actually something that, uh, you know, the scholar W.B. Du Bois had to reckon with in his own life. Du Bois thought uh, for quite a long time that if he just had enough research to show that African-Americans were being oppressed, uh, and discriminated against, right, even after the abolition of slavery. Uh, he thought that if you had enough evidence that that would be enough, right? To, right, to change our society for the better. And at a certain point, he realized that that was, that was simply not true. It was an illusion that there are people in our society, you can show them endless studies, you can show them evidence of disparities. Uh, you, you, it doesn't matter. They are committed both uh, rationally, because it's in their self-interest and also emotionally to the system of white supremacy. And there's no evidence that you can show them that will say, hey, you know what, I'm wrong about this. Yeah, so Donald Trump is of, still
1: is still saying the, the Central Park Five should be right. put to death. I mean, after, exactly. yeah. <laughs> after right. the guy c- confessed right. to the crime and they were acquitted by all the evidence. Um,
5: exactly.
1: You yeah. have, you have uh, forgive my interrupting, but we just have a minute or so left here. Yeah, yeah. Tucker Carlson on Fox News, uh, I believe it was last night, came out and said, how precisely is diversity our strength? He says, yeah. "Since you've made this our new national motto, please be specific as you explain it." Well, I thought our old national motto was "E pluribus unum," out of many, one. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, this is this is Fox News's position: diversity is a weakness.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's shocking, but time to go back to something that you said. So, sort of, it's shocking and it's not shocking. But to go back to something you said uh, earlier, it seems like we're going backwards in some very specific ways. This pattern of you know. Some steps forward, some steps back. It's also, as I know you and, and many of your callers know, it's quintessentially American, right? Some people have called this sort of the you know, the next reconstruction because we saw this. We saw this you know, in the aftermath of the Civil War. There was great hope, right, for what it meant to see the abolition of slavery. But what we saw was the rise and retrenchment of white supremacy. We saw the rise and establishment of Jim Crow right? We, we saw all of these instances in our history where uh, advances in civil rights and human rights have been met with resistance from those who think that diversity is a bad thing, who think that white supremacy and male supremacy and all of this are actually great things. And we have to reckon with the fact that these folks aren't going away. There's an intergenerational transmission of these values, these, right. these really terrible values that, uh, you know, would say that you know, white men should rule everything and we should rally behind that, and people of color and women shouldn't. We have to admit that is a core part of this country's history and ongoing legacy.
1: Yeah, and they also extend it to people who are not uh, basically cisgendered. You know, it's. Uh, of course. So, yeah. this whole thing, this is quite remarkable. Dr. Crystal Fleming is the Associate Professor of Sociology and Africana Studies and Associate Faculty Department of uh, Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Sooning Stony Brook. Uh, her new book coming out, How to Be Less Stupid About Race on Racism, White Supremacy, and the Racial Divide. I am really looking forward to reading this book. You can tweet her at uh, Always Heal the Self and Fleming PhD. Dr. Fleming, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Tom. Great talking with you. And her website, crystalfleming.com. Michael in Bronx, New York. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today?
6: Hey, Tom. You know, that was a great interview you gave with the doctor regarding um, sports and Serena Williams. Mm -hmm. And I had to put my two cents in. And the bogus calls um, in that tennis match, in my view, was because of just days before she endorsed her support by way of twitter of the new nike commercials with colin kaepernick now as we all know that mr trump or can i say mr 45 has interjected himself numerous times with the kneeling during the national anthem And saying that you're disrespecting the flag, disrespecting the military, disrespecting the anthem and the nation. And those that do so must be penalized. Those that support those who take the knee must be penalized as well. So when I look back at the NFL games with the teams that have been pretty much robbed and, how should I say this, that they receive bogus calls and false accusations from officials, and they're the same teams that have taken the knee. It kind of makes you wonder, you know, how far has Trump has gone to really turn this into a dictatorship? I mean, people may say that, oh, it's just a game. They stop make much of a big deal because it's just a game. It's more than just a game. This takes away the spirit of equal opportunity and fairness and just because you stand up for what you know it's right you're not going to be penalized in so many different ways um right. because you're taking that stand even for means robbing you of to say a championship yeah. status that you worked so hard for
1: yeah yeah i completely agree that's why i spent the weekend writing this op-ed piece for alternate that just went up my original title for it was the slave patrol comes for kaepernick and i talk about how the one thing that's not in the article that I thought about this morning, I should have added it in, is Barbecue Barbie. This epidemic of white people calling the police on black people because they're having, uh-huh. uh, you know, family picnics or because they're trying to get into their own houses or trying to get into their own cars or, you know, uh, jumping into a swimming pool. Those are the more microaggression types, but the focus of the, of the article that I wrote is you know, black people being murdered by white cops who are completely unaccountable. And when Colin Kaepernick stands up and says or, or takes a knee in, you know, which is prayerful, he did it as a way of showing respect for the flag in the national anthem, by the way, because he used to be just sitting on the bench when he took that he knee. He was the- counseled by a military veteran on that, too. Yeah, I quote the guy in the article. His name is Nate Boyer. And uh, in fact, what Nate Boyer said, this is what he said about his conversation with Kaepernick. He said, soldiers take a knee in front of a fallen brother's grave, you know, to show respect when you're on patrol. You know, you, we go to into a security halt. We take a knee and we pull security. People take a knee to pray. So for me, it was common ground, at least, to start from. And Kaepernick loved that and said, yeah, spot on. This is what I'm going to do. And uh, Trump, of course, is lying about it. Uh, Michael, thank you for the call. Trump and Pence, you know, oh, it's because he hates the flag. Come on, that's that's a lot of B.S. Rudy in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Rudy, what's on your mind? Thanks for listening to XM.
7: Hey, Tom, how you doing, man?
1: Good. What's on your mind?
7: You know, I, I like to think that I have a lot of, you know, white people in my life. But, you know, I, I come to understand that um, white America has a blind spot. And I can't quite put my finger on it because I'm not a white person. But there is a blind spot that white America has against minorities other than, you know, people other than themselves. And the word that you use is poison, like the trucker cars. And, you know, when these guys push that diversity is something that's that's not productive to society. Right. I, You know, Tom, you know, I often call you and, and, and tell the audience that white America is at a crossroads. And there is that the point where... The good white people or educated white people are going to have to make a decision on which on how they want their future. Yeah, because what's happening in this country, it involves all of us. It involves everyone being conscious and being uh, uh, vocal, vocal enough and starts talking, you know, speaking against this. Because what Serena did this weekend, what the president Obama did, what Kaepernick did, I mean, is doing. These are all issues that involve all of us. And if we don't start fighting against this this poison, because it's poison.
1: Yeah. Tom. When white people like Tucker Carlson look into the camera and tell millions and millions of white people that diversity is not strength and that this whole idea of diversity is a bad idea bloody blah, blah, blah. That is so un-American. That is so antithetical to the values of the enlightenment on which this country is founded. And yes, I realize we had slavery at the founding, but still I'm sorry Rudy.
7: No, it's not even American. It's against, huma- it's, it's against humanity. Amen. Hum- humanity. Amen. I mean, it, we are all on this earth together. We all breathe the same air. And for someone to say that, hey, you know, someone is better. I mean, what is so supreme about taking a power and suppressing someone else? I don't get that. Yeah. I don't get how someone can take, say, hey, my gun and my Bible... How can a gun and a Bible
1: I, this is being done out of fear, Rudy. that's what's going on. Fear is the main product that these folks sell the the folks who are encouraging racism the and God, the f-
7: and God and God speaks against fear. If you believe in God, you should not fear yeah. and then it blows my mind yeah. how, these, how people say this
1: Yeah, absolutely Rudy very well said thank you for, uh, thank you much for the call. I completely agree with your point and your perspective. Sue in Ball, Louisiana. Hey, Sue, what's on your mind today? Thanks for listening to us on SiriusXM.
8: I am a small blue dot in a huge red state of Mm -hmm. Louisiana. And uh, I post things on Facebook occasionally. And I post something about diversity on Facebook. And a friend, we have civil conversations, that we have completely different political views. And I posted something about diversity. And he informed me that the word diversity was code for white genocide.
1: Well that's something that a a neo-Nazi would say. Exactly. That's breathtaking. It
8: did shock me. Yeah. It shocked me yeah yeah because diversity was just code for you know getting rid of the white race well
1: and and when did First the color second. of our skin become the most important thing i mean i say that rhetorically because obviously it's important yeah it's you been the, it's I mean, been the case since, things since things the founding of it. the republic actually you know tragically right but there is strength in diversity that you know e pluribus unum is our national motto i think it probably referred to national origin long before it did to racial uh, diversity but But, you know, out of one many, this is this is us. I mean, this is the United States of America. And if I end up living in or my children or grandchildren end up living in a majority minority country and, you know, obviously that's going to happen in in the near future. I I don't see why that changes things as long as everybody is embracing the same ethos, the same ideals of the Enlightenment that, that made the United States, you know, that. That, what do
8: we all want? We all just want to live our lives and be happy and provide for our children, and we all have that in common.
1: Yes, and that's, that's what we need to be emphasizing, and that's what we need to be pointing out. Sue, thanks for sharing that story with us. That's pretty shocking, but uh, not absolutely surprising. Catstone, watching Free Speech TV in Coos Bay, Oregon. Am I saying that right, Catstone?
4: That's right. Hey, what's up? Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. And I hope you don't get tired of hearing people say thank you for what you do.
1: Oh, no, it's, that's fine. It's, it's when it goes on and on and on that I start feeling like I'm Donald Trump in one of one of his cabinet meetings. You know, it's <laughs> but yeah, that's Chris Stone, what's on your mind
3: today?
4: Well, thinking back to what Michael Moore said in the election, that if Donald Trump got elected, he would be the last president we ever had. And when Trump took away John Brennan's security clearance, I've been thinking about this for a long time, but when he took away the security clearance, that gave me a chill. And now he's extending this emergency situation. I'm thinking that he could, with the anonymous um, uh, op-ed in the New York Times, thinking he could declare, could he declare a martial law, He can't find these people. He's thinking we're in trouble. The nation needs, everything needs to stop. He shuts down the elections. And because he's moving, he wants to move, if he has the thought even to move it, to a dictatorship.
1: It will depend to a large extent on Congress and the federal courts. And this is one of the things that's so, the the latter part of that, the federal courts, is what's so chilling about Trump going with Brett Kavanaugh as his nominee, as I've pointed out a a million times or many times on this program. Brett Kavanaugh. scared of him. Yeah, Brett Kavanaugh's sales pitch to Donald Trump via the media was, put me on the Supreme Court and I'll make sure you don't go to jail. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, Trump is picking his judge and for for the for the the multiple trials that may end up before the Supreme Court i mean the the, the chief justice of course uh, would be John Roberts presides over an impeachment hearing in the senate but the but you know cases going to the Supreme Court can can uh, you know well there's a whole series of possible possible litigations that could end up before the Supreme Court around Trump so you know uh, can he be indicted can you know it's it, things like that and so uh, i'm i'm very concerned catstone i don't know that Trump declaring a dictatorship is something we need to be too flipped out about, although he has uh blown up so many democratic norms so far. Um it 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 is it is very concerning. And then you've got, you know, the billionaires who are firmly behind Trump. Uh they may not like his rhetoric and they keep asking him to to dial back the tweets, but the tweets are what, you know, energizes his base, which is increasingly basically his only support and and of course you know Fox News billionaire Rupert Burdock supporting him via Fox News something that's not going to go away as long as Rupert Burdock is is in charge um so
4: yeah well maybe the uh, the other thing is it has to all collapse before it can be rebuilt again
1: that seems to be the case demonstrated by history, as much as I'm, right. uh, uh, I'm discomfited sure. by that. It's, it's but I
4: have a solution, okay. a long, it's this long-term. The solution is to teach all our children to have good self-esteem, to think well of themselves, and eventually there will be no more problem, although we have to have uh, good and bad and light and dark. But um, everyone needs good self-esteem,
1: and if you have good self-esteem, you don't have to worry about what someone else does. Yeah, 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 absolutely true. Thank you, Cat Stone, for the call, and thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV there in Coos Bay, uh, a great part of the state of Oregon. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high-tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high-tech, and yes, I'll say it, it is sexy. This chair is extraordinary, and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And you know, if you're not in pain, and your and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And it's patented, split-back, lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com, that's xchairtom.com now, to check out the X3's Perfect blend of design and ergonomics. There's a lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1 844 4xchair. This chair comes with a 30 day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. Xchair.tom.com. Now back to the podcast. This new ethics complaint, <laughs> this is extraordinary. The Democratic coalition has filed a lawsuit, a complaint, essentially, an ethics complaint, with the Washington, D.C. court, the uh, D.C. Court of Appeals, which is the court on which Kavanaugh sits. And the chief judge of that court, the number one guy on that court, to whom Kavanaugh is subordinate, is Merrick Garland. So I'm guessing Merrick Garland will probably recuse himself, but we'll see. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I think he'll do it for appearance sake. I'm not sure that there's a strong legal argument that he should recuse himself. But whether he does or not, the Democrats are saying, this is just wrong. This man has committed perjury, Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh has lied to Congress. He lied to Congress in 2004. We now have the videotape of that. He lied to Congress in 2006. We have the videotape of that. He lied to Congress last week in a number of instances, particularly with regard to his testimony in 2004 and 2006. And then you've got Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins basically built their careers On being pro-choice Republicans. A vanishing breed, right? There's some pro-life Democrats. There's some pro-choice Republicans. And Collins and Murkowski have been among them. Interestingly, the only two, I believe the only two, no, Jody Aarons is also a senator uh, who's a Republican, but she's not pro-choice. So in any case, uh, these two women, Republicans in the United States Senate, have literally built their careers on this. By the way, Susan Collins' office has received over 3,000 coat hangers in the mail. I think this is fascinating. Coat hangers, of course, harkening back to the days when abortion was illegal and occasionally women would try to induce an abortion with an uncoiled coat hanger and very often bleed out or kill themselves. The supreme court judge lewis paul the guy who authored the Powell memo in 1971 richard nixon put him on the supreme court in 72 he authored and participated in the 1976 buckley versus vallejo decision when they said yes billionaires can own politicians you know it's something that had been against the law basically from the founding of the republic and or at least we had never said that they have the explicit right under the first amendment that was what lewis paul said but there's an interesting little story to lewis paul's past Lewis Powell, interestingly, was not a so-called pro-life or anti-abortion vote on the Supreme Court. And nobody really knew why. And back about four or five years ago, when I was writing the book The Crash of 2016, basically much of the book is about the Powell memo and the Republican takeover of government and how that Republican takeover has morphed into a billionaire takeover of government and how the billionaires are milking us all dry and it's going to crash the system, thus the title Crash of 2016. So as I was digging into this, I discovered this amazing story about Lewis Powell. Lewis Powell used to be a lawyer in, I believe it was in Richmond, Virginia. He was like one of these Southern gentlemen types, right? And his principal clients were tobacco companies and wealthy white people and big corporations. And he had this kid who worked for him. He was 19 or 20. I believe he was a law student. They both lived in the same town. He, his family knew Lewis Powell's family. And he came to lewis powell's office which was in this you know kind of big old house back in the day this was like in the 60s and came to lewis powell's office all freaked out and said my girlfriend just died she's back at the house dead back in my apartment and so lewis powell went to this kid's apartment and sure enough his girlfriend had died she was dead on the bed She had died from a self-induced illegal abortion. Actually, I'm not sure if it was self-induced, but she'd had an illegal abortion because all abortions were illegal. And she had bled out on this kid's bed. And so Lewis Powell took him down to the police station, got him basically a get out of jail pass and sort of covered the whole thing up, supervised the funeral for the girl, took care of the body, everything. And from that day forward, he was a reliable vote on the court for roe v wade for the legality of abortion but anyhow steve schmidt says he's speaking to collins and murkowski he says they built their political careers around the premise that they're tough and independent leaders who will defend roe v wade turns out it was a con on the level of trump university in the end they are the architects of the repeal of roe v wade They conned a lot of people for a long time, but like all cons, the day always comes when the curtain is pulled back. My objection to Collins and Murkowski isn't on the basis of a belief. It's on the basis of how dishonest and full of S they are. Collins and Murkowski's impending vote for Kavanaugh exposes them as titanic frauds. So let's check in with talk media news and find out what's going on in the world today. This uh, report, by the way, brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do, Ellen Ratner's new book. On the line with us, Bob Nay, uh, the author of Sideswiped. Congressman, welcome back. Well, thank you, Tom. So uh, what's at the top of your hit parade with regard to what's in the news? Well, there are all types
2: of things, you know, with Syria, et cetera. But I did want to turn and keep in the mid-east for, for a second here, but sure. the president has uh, announced he's going to close the Palestine Liber- Liberation Organization mission in Washington, D.C., and that mission was deemed by Congress back in 1987 to forbid the PLO to have an office, but uh, there are provisions for waivers, and that has been wavered all the way forward uh, with Clinton uh president bush president bush's father uh president obama but now it will be closed under the uh trump administration uh and would they will be asked to leave
1: this is not going to help any efforts to bring the palestinians and the israelis together for peace talks
2: yes you know you just uh, you exactly mimicked uh, exactly what my analysis of this nothing good can come from this now yeah. people can say they're illegitimate. They can say whatever they want to say about it. This is advised uh, and allowed for at least a mission for communication to be out there. Right. Um,
1: it's not even it's an embassy.
2: Own, right, and it's been there through, throughout presidents. It's been there for a long time. Now, I think there's two words that sums up what happened here, and that's John Bolton. Mm. And In fact, he is the one who has announced it in a speech to the Federalist Society. And his quote was, the United States will use any means necessary to protect our citizens and those of our allies from unjust prosecution by this illegitimate court. Because he's talking about the fact that the Palestinians had said that they felt there were some Israeli war crimes is what they had spoke out about.
1: Are you talking about the International Criminal Court now? The the PLO bringing cases there and and, uh, the Trump administration also talking about defunding or at least the American funding, removing the American funding for the International Criminal Court. This is the tribunal that prosecuted Nazi war criminals.
2: Yes, it, it, it is. And the fact that, of course, Nikki Haley was going towards partial cutoff of money, which is used for refugee and humanitarian, and we know that they're, they're cutting all of that off, and that was last week. Wow. Now the office is being closed. And Bolton's quote is, the United States will always stand with our friend and ally, Israel. And he's, de- he's basically defending in his speech today, saying the Trump administration will not keep the office open when the Palestinians refuse to step and start directing meaningful negotiations with Israel. So what we have now said is we're going to cut off all the humanitarian aid. And, and again, not that anyone in their right mind would be promoting violence against Israel. Of course not. You know, and right. and there are people that do that and people that don't. but. First, the money was cut, and that goes towards refugees, food, medical attention, you know, housing, everything under the sun. Right. And I've, I've been to the West Bank, Tom, and I don't know if you've been over there in the West Bank, but it is tough, tough living conditions even years back. So now this follows up again with the closure of the PLO office. This will not bring anybody towards any form of, of peace. In fact, this will absolutely uh, incite a lot of problems. Yeah.
1: Uh, terrible. What else is right. up, Bob?
2: Well, and then the Koch brothers were not happy with one super PAC. They have now created a second super PAC.
1: You mean one wasn't no. enough?
2: No, one's not enough because, you know, uh, again, they buy each other presidents for Christmas. Mm-hmm. So they need a little bit more money there. And the Americans for Prosperity, of course, one of the most uh, conservative policy focused groups of the Koch brothers, it's getting into the super PAC business itself. So they're creating another one, and that's called Americans for Prosperity Action, and that's a new tool. They say they want to make uh, their mark larger. They actually quote Concerned Veterans for America Action Fund and the Libra. I haven't heard of that. Have you? L-I-B-R-E? No. Action?
1: I would guess it's a Hispanic group, but I just don't know.
2: Something, yes. Mm. They're going to aim towards that and then have that targeted uh, purpose, you know, yeah. somehow. So
1: the, the billionaires are extending and cementing their control over American politics, basically, is the bottom line here, right?
2: Right. Oh, exactly. And yeah. they're adding more money, you know, obviously, into the system. Yeah. And the other one is a very fascinating study that we, you know, are, are talking about today. And it's it's a study that was out of California, Berkeley. And what it talks about is the actual real impact of raising the uh, the minimum wage. Mm-hmm. So most states say, of course, have a minimum wage above the the federal mark, and that was uh, stopping at, what, 7.25 per hour for nearly a decade. Now, in some of the cities, the minimum wage has been doubled. We all know that. You know, San Francisco, I think, was the first uh, city to do it. Mm. And then, of course, uh, Seattle
5: yeah.
2: has the $15 policy over the past several years. Now, the argument's been that's, you know, killing the economy. So now, Tom, there's 10 large cities in about seven states and some smaller localities, but they're transitioning between 12 and $15 an hour for their minimum wage. Mm-hmm. So this report by University of California, uh, Berkeley Center on Wage and Employment Dynamics, it's called CWED, is saying that at least in the city-level cases, uh, this is doing nothing to stifle jobs. It's helping.
1: Yeah, I would think it would help, too, because what you're doing is you're pouring more money into the local economy by raising the wages of the, of the lowest paid people who spend all their money into the local economy. Excellent. Bob, thanks for that. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Bob Nay with the Talk Media News, the author of Sideswiped. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Great talking with you. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Just a, a quick uh, heads up. I've got a piece up on Alternet. The NFL's ongoing Kaepernick controversy shows much of white America is still in slave patrol mode. You might want to check it out. Lewis in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, Lewis, thanks for listening to us on Sirius XM. What's up?
9: Hey, good afternoon. Uh, great subject. Great uh, exchange of uh, conscientious minds. Thank you. Uh, I, are you familiar with, uh, I think it was uh, an expression that Martin Luther King used in the, six, in, in the 60s? Conscientious stupidity?
1: I have heard it. I didn't, uh, but I don't know very much about it. Yeah.
9: Okay. Uh, conscientious stupidity looks like these, uh, I wouldn't say exactly white, because they have uh, many Cubans and a few uh, blacks that wish that slavery was still in existence helping them out as well. If you think about it, these people, they have decided that to make themselves highly stupid. Hmm. From the lowest common educated one, to the highest. I mean, it's nothing to do with intelligence or education anymore. It's like you volunteer to be conscientiously stupid. Yeah. And that's what's going on in America. How do you take a man like Donald Trump, who avoided in the military, and yet all he has to do is put a few uh, uh,
7: yahoos
9: and hee-haw fans on the stadium, calling USA, USA, while they have their health plan, uh, taxation not going to them, and they are making ends meet. And Trump takes off in the helicopter, a helicopter or fancy plane, and they're still saying, "Yeah, yeah, you told them right, Donald." Yeah, yeah he's taking away everything they had. Yeah, it's so pure conscientious stupidity.
1: Yeah, it is, Louis. Thank you for sharing that. I can't disagree at all. David in San Francisco, listening on AM nine sixty. Hey, David, what's up?
10: Yeah, hey Tom. You know, with some of the books that you wrote uh, years ago, uh, seems to me you did some uh, about like William Jennings Bryan and whatnot. And in Montana, weren't they like a very colonized state? I think there were super uh, huge uh, mining companies. They
1: were controlled by the Copper King, uh, who I think his right. name was William sure. Cooper, but I could be wrong. And, right. and uh, he was literally buying senators. I mean, he, uh, in fact, when he wanted to become, if, I, I may have his name wrong, but the guy who uh, from, from Montana, he wanted to go to the U.S. Uh, Senate. And at that time this is before the 17th amendment was passed so at that time the senators were appointed by the state legislature in montana and uh he he went in and he told everybody if you if you vote for me i'll give you a thousand dollar bill when you walk out of the chamber and he stood outside with a pocket full of envelopes with thousand dollar bills inside and handed them out to people who voted for him they sent him to the senate the u.s senators were so offended they refused to seat him but that only lasted a few months and then they let him in and you know everything was just continued
10: Well, the reason I bring this up, Citizens United uh, apparently got doubled down on. Uh, Mnuchin, about a month and a half ago, changed uh, the IRS laws so that they don't even need to track money anymore from another direction. And uh, apparently the state of Montana, because of that history of Montana, state of Montana is suing the IRS because they're denying Montana the ability to track uh, corporate theft. Hmm. And uh, and so if you have any ability to check on this, apparently, you know, it, it's already taken effect. The, Mnuchin did this change in, in a fiduciary way as opposed to a, it, it's like it's a rules change. Right. I get
1: to it. David, if you could find a good summary of that or any good information on that, would you please tweet it to me? I do read my Twitter feed every day. I don't do Twitter too much. Look for Facebook, though. I'll see if I can shoot it that way. Okay, if you can get it on our Facebook page. I, I read that less frequently, but I do read it regularly. And Louise reads it every day, so it'll get to us. The deal. Um, thanks, thanks a lot, David. I'm sorry I don't have uh, the details right at the tip of my tongue, but I've learned from painful experience not to jump into things that you don't know everything about. Bill in Beaverton, Oregon. Hey, Bill, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up?
2: Hi, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, on the first day of the Kavanaugh hearing, it looked like Condi Rice was sitting directly behind him.
1: She was brought in to replace the young woman who did the white power sign.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, she represents big oil. And during the Bush administration, um, they had a, uh oil tanker named after her. Yep. Kavanaugh represents big business and corporations and big oil. So. There you have it. I mean, it's it's a very scary image.
1: Yeah, we're looking at, you know, basically a corporate takeover of America. It's it's been ongoing since the 70s, and it's really picking up steam with this administration. Well said, Bill. Thanks a lot for the call. Uh, Let's see here. Virginia in Colfax, North Carolina. I hope you're getting ready for the storm.
4: Yes, I am. Hi, Tom. My name is Virginia, and I watch your show all the time, and I love it. Thank you. Mine is a little different. Where did you get your, as a white American, where did you get your fair mind in this from? And did you get, I want to know about your parents, did you get it from your parents? I want, Me,
1: personally? That. Absolutely. My, my parents were extraordinary people and straight out of the lower middle class, but didn't carry the prejudices that are typical with that.
4: That's what I thought. Keep up the good work. I love you.
1: Thank you, Virginia. It's great to Bye-bye. hear from you. Yeah, my, my, uh, my mother and father were both you know, very thoughtful people and taught me not to judge other people. The lessons my father taught me, I should write a book about. In any case, thanks so much for being with us today. Keep an eye on this global climate change caused or exacerbated storm. You got abnormally warm water in the Atlantic right now. It's the new normal, but it's abnormal in in the historical record. And then the storm is probably gonna stall out because the jet stream keeps stalling out because the ice is melting in the Arctic. And brought to you by ExxonMobil and Coke Industries. Anyhow, we'll be back tomorrow. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow.
2: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.